All right, Psalm 27. We're in the book of Psalms, if you're new or visiting, which is in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to uh, pick a Bible up. They're in the chairs in front of you. Um, if you don't see one, raise a hand and somebody will hand you one. It's so important that you have your own Bible. I know many of you have it on your own device. Um, however it might be a blessing to you, do that. But I encourage you to be able to underline it and highlight it and mark it. So we're in Psalm 27 this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we know that unless the Lord builds the house, uh, we labor in vain. Anyone labors in vain. And so Lord, we know, uh, we know what this country was founded on. Men, women who are sinners in need of a savior. And they made mistakes. But they also had a vision of heaven and your word. And Father, our nation is has lost that vision. And we as a nation are behaving like animals. Because without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus at the center of our vision, that's what we are. We just have that base nature. So Father, I thank you and praise you again as we've worshipped you in song and worshipped you with with our finances. Lord, we come to worship you with our lives right now and say, transform our hearts. For we all still need to be transformed every day. So Lord, do a work even this morning as we study your words, your love letter. We ask for your Holy Spirit to, to convict us, to reprove us, to rebuke us if necessary, to comfort us and strengthen us, to exhort us. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. And Lord, that through your word this morning, our lives will be more like Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Well, it appears that this psalm was written when David was running from the hands of King Saul, who wanted to kill him. And it's estimated that David was fleeing from King Saul for up to 10 years. You know, it was a very devastating time in David's life as he had done nothing. As you read the scriptures, David had done nothing to deserve what was taking place in his life. And and we can look at the Psalms, we can label some of them in certain as a certain season. And as I read this Psalm, I can see it as a season of despair. A season of despair. But even out of this season of despair comes some incredible insights into the life of one who totally trusted in the living God. And if you find yourself even there this morning in a season of despair, because again, so many people will say, well, you know, the word is irrelevant, it's archaic, it's it's just old, it's not relevant. No, it's very, very relevant. And you will find great comfort even this morning if you find yourself in that season. So Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. The Lord is... My light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, My heart shall not fear. The war may arise against me. In this, I will be confident. You hear in verse 1, 
tells us so much about David's spiritual life. If, if you were going to write about your spiritual life, what would you say? What would you say about your spiritual life? It's easy to look at somebody else and go, well, you know, they need to pray more. They need to read the Bible more. They need this. They need that. Let's make it relevant. What do you need to do? What would you write about yourself? And here David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, he has gone from having everything available to him in Jerusalem as being the son-in-law to King Saul to literally having nothing. The clo- literally the clothes on his back at the very beginning. And most of us have and probably never will experience something like this. But what a great life lesson to learn from this morning as we look at the Psalms. We can learn. You see, at any given moment, our spiritual walk, not our spiritual talk. It's easy to say praise the Lord in the good times. It's easy to have a smile when things are going great, when everything's smooth. How about those other times? You see, our spiritual walk is what should be, should be, of the greatest value and importance to every believer. We have many other things that that vie for our attention. But if they were all taken away, what would that leave you with? See, this is very practical in David's life. And for us, even as believers, if we take a solid stand for believers, it's happened in the U.S. in these last few years, where people have literally lost their businesses, their homes, and have been fined by the state thousands of dollars for taking a stand for Christ. We would never have thought it would happen. This is the country of free speech, isn't it? But it is happening. And so it could happen. And what is going to be said about you? What are you going to do? How are you going to look? So important is what it should be of the greatest value and importance to every believer. You see, when you know that someone's out to get you and yet the Lord delivers you from them, you come to the same conclusion. Whom shall I fear? You see, with King Saul and his army hunting David down, the odds were overwhelmingly against him. One man. And then he had others that joined him, a few hundred men, but still against the thousands of King Saul? A few verses that you're very familiar with. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the Holy Spirit. God said this in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament as well. The Holy Spirit has sealed us as believers and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Everything else might, everyone else might. But the Holy Spirit never will. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The worst, take my life. Praise God, I enter into eternal life. What's the big deal? You see, David had this proper perspective. Did he get this overnight? No. He had to grow in it just like you and I have to do. He was a man just like you and me. 
Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the whole world can be against us. But even if the whole world's against us, who do we have on our side? God. I think that's really good odds. And this is so important. Again, I know these are verses you're familiar with. But when we get into that place of despair, what do we fall back on? Who do we fall back on to? Typically ourselves. You see, notice in the Psalms here that David says that the Lord is the strength of his life. And I know, I know that he was just not talking about physical strength here. You see, David was referring to his whole being, his mental, emotional, spiritual, as well as physical life. How about for you? How about for me? You see, as we surrender all areas of our lives to God, not just the areas that we'd like to surrender or that we should surrender, but that we literally surrender all areas of our lives to God, we will arrive at the same conclusion that David goes on to share, which is next in verse 4 and 5. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek. Now again, get the picture, David, if this was during that time, I'm not saying it absolutely was, but if it was, get the mental picture. He's away from Jerusalem. He's away from the tabernacle. He's away from the fellowship that he enjoyed for years. He's by himself initially, all by himself initially. But what does he go to? He says, one thing, if I desire of the Lord, that will I seek after, to dwell in the comforts of my own house, to have my lazy boy and my Dr. Pepper with my snacks and the 56-inch TV. That's what I desire. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock you see out of all of David's trials He kept his focus on the right thing, seeking after God and his ways. You know, in David's time, the tabernacle was that place where the the presence of the Lord was sought after. Now, Now we know, because we have the whole counsel of God, that David does, that God does not dwell in a building made with hands, but in each and every believer, the Holy Spirit dwells. God literally dwells within us. So we don't need to go to a physical place to find God. So you might be thinking, oh, that means I don't have to come to church. Now you want to read your whole Bible. Because if you think that right away, you don't know your Bible. Because that's not what I'm insinuating at all. Just the opposite needs to take place. You see, David says, he says, I saw the beauty of God's character and the riches of his goodness and favor to all people at the tabernacle. Jew as well as Gentile. You see, the Jews were to be that light, not just to fellow Jews, but to the Gentiles or the whole world. And as a Gentile would come to worship at the tabernacle, they were to be welcomed. 
They were to be taught the scriptures. They were to be instructed about God and his ways. Unfortunately, religiosity took over and the Gentiles were forbidden and actually condemned. And the religious elite didn't want nothing to do with them. You see, they got religious and lost the relationship. But David saw something special. Again, he especially saw this when hanging around the tabernacle. Hanging around the tabernacle. You see, God is no respecter of persons, but blesses all those who would choose to seek after him. Even to this day, as we go out into our mission field tomorrow, or maybe even later today, as we go out into our mission field, the neo-Nazis, God desires a relationship with them. Whatever class of people you want to throw up on the screen, God desires a relationship with them. And we as believers have to guard our hearts so that we don't get deceived by the enemy, not just a group of people. You always want to look at what's behind the group of people in the spiritual world, which I encourage you to come out Wednesday night. Darrell's doing the book of Ephesians. And if you're not familiar with the spiritual world, it's real. And he's going to be teaching this Wednesday night in Ephesians 6, 10 through the rest of the chapter about the spiritual armor and the spiritual world and the warfare that's taking place. Guys, we've got to lift our eyes and not get caught up in the politics or the drama or the anger or the frustration. But again, look, lift up the eyes and say, okay, what is going on here? What is the bigger picture? What did Jesus and, and the apostles and the scriptures tell us was going to happen right before his return? We're living in those days. And we could get upset. We could get rash and harsh and judgmental. But the world doesn't need that. They're already there. They need somebody with a calm voice. They need somebody to say, you know what? I'm just going to keep looking at God. I'm just going to keep looking at Jesus. I'm just going to stay focused on loving one another. And let people yell at you. Oh, you're going to love a neo-Nazi? What else would you like me to do with them? Yes, I, I will love them. Doesn't mean I condone what they do. But I'm called to love them. Doesn't mean I have to fellowship with them and embrace them. But I do need to love them. Is your way working? The protest going good for you? How, tearing down the statues? How's that working? Is that changing anybody's heart? That's not going to change anybody's heart. It never will. Never has, never will. And so for you and I, as we go out into our workplace and into our mission field, we need to remember this is why we gather we can look at each other and say, if God can save you, then he, he can save my coworker. Let that, you know, think about that for a second. It'll, it'll sink in. There's something special that takes place when you gather with other believers to focus on the Lord. You see this especially when you gather with other believers who don't share a common language. We've had the privilege of traveling. You know, there's a realization that takes place that, that God is among us and he will take care of us. And that's why Jesus sent his disciples out by two. That's why it's taught throughout the Bible to fellowship with one another. You see, the church is not a physical building made up of bricks or wood, but a living body of believers seeking to encourage and bless one another. And that is what the world needs to see. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another but also love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is any person near you at any given time. That is your neighbor. And so the only you and I can do that. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. We shouldn't be surprised by what we see on TV. 
Verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Again, notice. David was away from the tabernacle, but he was thinking about the tabernacle. He wasn't going, oh, this is great. I don't need to go to the tabernacle. I don't need to hang around my brothers anymore. This is just wonderful. I'm out here in the wilderness. I can worship a tree because God, you know, God designed the trees. I can go and worship by the Mediterranean Sea. I can go down by the Dead Sea. Yeah, I can worship at Engedi. I can worship anywhere. Now, what is David saying? The tabernacle. Fellowship. God. Other. Believers. It's so vital. It's so important. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And again, if you're not familiar with your Bible, they always put a slide up, which is really nice. It's in the New Testament towards the back. just helps you locate it. Please get used to your Bible. I mean, it's nice to have a device. But if your device gets wet and you don't have it, can you find a Bible? I, I think I got a Bible in my house somewhere. Do you know where the, the Old Testament is and the New Testament? Do you, do you, can you find chapters and verses? It, it's nice to have that device and have the ease, but you know, if you ever break your finger, be careful. First Peter chapter two verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now he's not talking about Israel there. He's talking about the church. So we think of nations, all of a sudden we usually put a label on a nation. The church. Peter is speaking specifically about the church. His own special people. And I like King James. I studied King James for a year. King James says peculiar. Peculiar. His own peculiar people. New King James softened it up. Special. You're special. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Notice that. That you may proclaim the praises. So when you get into a conversation this week and it might get a little heated, you can say to somebody, you know what, I used to hate that group of people too. And I've learned to love them and pray for them. Oh, you're weird. That's fine. But I just don't have hate in my heart anymore. And it doesn't look like hate's doing you a lot of good right now with your veins popping out, your blood pressure going up, you're losing sleep, you're really frustrated. That's not happening in my life, so I don't know what to tell you. It's it's unfortunate. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Again, as we look back in the psalm, as I've already stressed it, notice where David is going to express God's faithfulness in his life. I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Getting together with like-minded believers. Church is vital and not just Sunday morning. I will sing. And that's why we have a time of worship of songs. It's not just filler time so people can slowly work their way in. It's so that you've had a tough week or you've had a glorious week and you're here, you're ready, you're excited and you're lifting up your voice to God. Giving Him the praise He so deserves for whatever this week held for you. 
and as well getting you prepped for whatever this next week's going to hold for you. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Now as we read some of these verses, we might think, wow, where is David? David's writing the Bible. He didn't have the whole word of God on his lap like we have. So as he's expressing these things, he's not contradicting himself, as some people would look at. And it sounds like David's, you know, he's not just despairing. He's like, where's God? No, David's expressing what many of us want to express, but we might not know how to do it. Or we might think, if I do it, that I'm a bad Christian, and I might be looking at being looked at by another Christian as, wow, you're really bad. No, David's just expressing what's inside his heart. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You see, David had such a close relationship with God that he knew that God was speaking to him and he was still. Think about that. God was speaking to him and he was still willing to seek after him. Notice in verse 8 there it says, Seek my face. When you said, Seek my face, My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. You know, maybe this past week, God was calling you to do something. And you just stiff-armed him. I don't got time. Too busy. Got too many things going on. You got to deepen that relationship. I have to deepen my relationship with the Lord just as much as you do. So that we have that relationship and when he talks to us throughout the day, throughout the week, whatever it might be, that I'll be willing to say, yes, Lord, I will seek your face on that issue. I I do need your counsel on that issue. I will speak to another brother or sister, someone older in the Lord about that. Yeah, I do need that. Or we could say, no, no, I got it under control, God. You see here, David says, you know, seek my face close. Lord, I will. I will seek your face. Again, that's not always easy to do. And he goes on to say in verse 10 there, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Notice that deep relationship. Even if family members forsake me, I'm still going to be all right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. David lived roughly about 1000 B.C., And so here we see a thousand years later, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Christian faith. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, we read this. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now before anybody even goes off the deep end, uh, Jesus does not condone war Um, He's not encouraging us to kill one another. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God as you read your Bible. And the Word of God, as we take a stand for the Word of God, is going to bring division into into our families. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, this isn't saying that everyone who believes in Christ, this is going to take place. But he's letting them know this could take place. I know even personally in my own life, this took place within my own siblings, with our own fa- my own family. And so it's very possible, and you have to get to that point of, you know what? It's about God. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter if my whole family abandons me. I'm going to stay focused on the Lord. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, is not fit to follow me. As you look up that word worthy, it means fit to follow. And I know all of us in this room as believers, I would, I, I think, all of us in this room as believers really, we're here because we really want to follow Christ. We fail, we make mistakes, we slip up, this, that, and the other thing. But I think deep down we all really want to do that. So this isn't saying that you're, you know, you're, you're not fit to be a Christian. None of that nonsense. Jesus is saying, if you don't follow me wholeheartedly when it comes time to your family, you're not going to be fit to be able to say, I'm not doing that. I'm not participating in your party because of what's taking place in the party. You won't be ready. You won't be fit to do that. You won't be fit to put up with the harassment that's going to come out. Oh, you think you're holier than thou now, do you? You're better than us, do you? And you will crumble and you will give in and you will find yourself doing things that you shouldn't do because you're not fit. You're not strong enough. You're not spiritually ready. That's what Jesus is saying. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not fit. You're not ready for the battle. We've had to do this with our own children. We've never put our children above God. God brought them into the world. God will take them out of the world. God is number one. And you need to, as a parent, set that example for your children. So they'll set that example for the grandchildren, if they so choose. It's their decision, nobody else's. But you and I, we have to take that stand. We cannot love our children or any relationship, including our mates, above God. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not fit, is not worthy of me. You're not ready yet. And so we have to get ready. He who finds his life shall will lose it if we think our life is in this side of heaven. But he who loses his life, now just think of this here. Think of all these relationships that Jesus just talked about. Father, mother, brothers, sisters, in-laws, family, friends. That's what Jesus is referring to. If you don't put my father above all of those relationships, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose what? Your Christian testimony. They're going to say, see, we knew you were just like us. We knew it would just take some time. We knew it was a fad. We knew it would wear off. Yeah, come on back. Yeah, come on party. Yeah, all right, there you go. Now you're doing better. Now you're like the family again that we've always had. Instead of saying, no, no, I don't do that anymore. Still love you, but I just don't do that. It's not scriptural. The Holy Spirit's not leading me to do that. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake, for my sake, will find it. And that's what David has, has realized. A thousand years before Christ, he had a relationship with God. And he had life, even in the wilderness, even away from the tabernacle, even away from all the luxuries that he had, he still had life. Would you still have life? Would you consider yourself still having life if you lost everything? 
you literally lost everything? It's, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I would. No, really walk through it. Step through it. Think about it in your mind. We have done this in our minds. We have set our minds. You have to set your mind to that. If you don't set your mind to that, when it, when the chips are down, you won't do it. You have to think this out, plan this out, pray about it, walk through the scriptures with it, and go, God, it's all yours. It's literally all yours. Easy to say. Back in the Psalms, Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the path of smooth, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Again, you've got to picture this. If this is during that time, Saul and the army that David used to lead now coming after him to kill him? <laughs> Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. You see, David's prayer for a smooth path is not a selfish one. You see, he wasn't looking for an easy way out, but rather he didn't want to stumble and give his enemies accusation to use against God. You see, there will be many who lied about David, but he knew the truth and so did God. That's why he didn't lose heart. And think about those two times when David could have killed King Saul. David could have literally killed King Saul and taken over the throne. But he said, I will not kill God's anointed. He respected God so much and he respected the authority so much that he didn't take it into his own hands. He said, God, God's got a plan. He knew that God had a plan. You see, there will always be those who come against you because of your trust in the Lord. And there were those who even said to David, God's delivered him into your hand, kill him. And David said, no, no, that is not what God has done here. You see, there will always be those who lie about you and try to slander your name. The enemy will use anyone who will allow themselves to be used, including your children. I'm talking very personally here. It's happened. It's happened. And you just have to keep serving the Lord and pressing on. You see, David had learned to not take these attacks personally, but rather trust that God had a plan and a purpose behind it all. Verse 14, the end of the psalm, and I have it highlighted in my Bible because David makes a point here. It's a very, very important principle. Wait on the Lord. That word wait there, it means to look for, to hope, to expect. To look for, to hope, to expect. Everything's against me. King Saul wants to kill me. The armies are coming against me. I have nothing. I didn't even have a, he didn't even have a sword initially. Nothing even to defend himself. I mean, you couldn't get any lower than this. But yet David says to his readers, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait. Wait, I say. 
on the Lord. You see, when things are not going well, this is a great biblical principle to take and apply into your life. You see, David is able to look at his life and see God's hand upon it because there were many times the Lord had strengthened his hand. So he encourages others. He's encouraging you and me, the Holy Spirit, even right now, 3,000 years later. Not relevant? Bible is very relevant. 3,000 years later, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, maybe very, very specifically this morning, something's going on in your life and you're not sure what to do. Seek prayer. Seek the Word of God. Seek counsel. And what? Wait. Wait. To look for, to hope, to expect that God is going to meet you because He will. He will absolutely meet you. But you have to do your part. We can get in front of him. We can be lagging way behind him. Or we can be right there beside him. Staying in step with him. And trusting that he is going to deliver us. Psalm 28. Again, a psalm of David. And in this psalm, David once again makes reference to the importance of spending time again in the tabernacle or sanctuary or in the presence of God. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry to you, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Again, notice that intimate fellowship in the sanctuary. But the first thing that I notice here in the first verse there, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. What is that saying? That David had a prayer life. The second thing to notice is that even though David makes his plea, he wonders if God will respond. Again, he's just sharing his heart. You know, how often do we seek after God and yet wonder if he is really going to respond? I think all of us in this room can say that, if we're honest. What's taking him so long? (laughs) You know, a soul might proclaim. Is he even there? Our mind might question. And I just thank God that we have the whole counsel of God, for he does hear our prayers, and he will respond according to his, in his own good timing. And that is a fact. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 6 through 9. And go there, try to get there quickly. But you, when you pray, Jesus speaking to the disciples specifically, Mount of Beatitudes. Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus is encouraging his disciples to have a prayer life. And David here says, to you I will pray, I will cry, O Lord my rock. David had a prayer life. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Now, as a Roman Catholic, I received Christ as my Savior, and I was reading my Roman Catholic Bible, and I came across a verse like this, and I'd be like, whoa, the rosary. Should I be praying the rosary? Well, according to the Word of God, I shouldn't be. You see, when you read your Bible, it's just self-explanatory. And I went and talked to the priest about it, and he said, there, 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 there. The fathers have taught us otherwise, and church teaching supersedes the Bible, so it's okay to do the rosary because it supersedes the Bible. Well, when you're young and ignorant 
And ignorant just means unknowing. It's not a put down. It's just unknowing. But as I kept reading my Bible, I became more knowledgeable. And I'm going, wait, 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 wait. Our Bible, our Bible clearly says this, and we're doing what the Bible says we shouldn't do. So there's a contradiction. I, forget the fathers. There's a contradiction with the Bible. What are we going to follow, the Bible or not? And then I had to, we had to make that decision to leave. You got to follow the Bible, guys. It's not about religion. It's about a walk with Christ. It's about your Bible. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And He goes on to teach them an outline of prayer. Not necessarily a prayer in and of itself. And there's nothing wrong with praying the Our Father. But if you're doing it out of repetitious habit, out of thinking, well, if I do this so many times, then God is going to have to answer my prayer I'm putting God in a corner because I, I prayed the Our Father. You've missed it. You've missed it. It's an outline. And you can study that on your own. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. And there's many other religions that have repetitious prayers as well, not just Roman Catholics. So you just want to go back to the Word of God, the Word of God. Our Father in heaven. Hebrews 4, and I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, notice very specifically, let us hold firm to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Lord, I failed this week. Lord, I failed again this week. Come boldly before his throne. It's a throne of grace. That we may receive his mercy. Notice, throne of grace, he pours out mercy. He knows we're frail human beings. But it's about relationship. Again, notice the relationship. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God that we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. To help us. God will help us. Back in the Psalms. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. You see, David wanted no part to have no part with those who are practicing wickedness. And there is such a thing as called a riot mentality. When you get a group of people together, anything can take place. And so you might want to even avoid certain situations. You might think, well, I'm going to go down and do good, and all of a sudden you find yourself where you don't want to be caught up in a thing that you didn't want to be caught up in. Be very, very careful with the mob mentality. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. And you see, those who seek after peace will produce the fruit of peace. 
and they will be recognized as such. But David here prays that God would repay those who spread deceit by repaying them for their evil intents. And that's not a bad prayer at all. Matter of fact, I'm going to read Romans 12, 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If you can't go to a rally and have peace in your heart with everyone that's there, then you don't belong there. I would recommend you just use that as a gauge for your own mentality. If you can't go to a rally and be peaceful with all people, if somebody's on the other side and all of a sudden you feel your flesh getting worked up and I just want to go over and punch that guy in the face, you don't belong there. You don't belong there. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Deliver them over to God. Because every person eventually will stand before God and give an account of what he did. Every single person on the face of this earth. Even the people that don't regard God or his ways. It doesn't negate the fact that they will stand before him. That's a fact. Verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. So again, you might think, geez, David is contradicting himself. No, he's just expressing himself. And notice what he's confident of. He's, he's heard my voice. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. And I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. You see, David acknowledges that God does hear his prayers and that he will respond, which causes David to proclaim that God is his strength, his shield, and that he does trust in him totally and notice again there at the end and with my song i will praise him verse 8 and 9 the lord is their strength and he is a saving refuge of his anointed save your people and bless your inheritance shepherd them also and bear them up forever you know as the music team comes up See, David now takes his personal experiences, his, his personal experience, and he places it upon the nation. And his prayer is that God would save the whole nation. Notice this. Bless your people. Bless your sheep. You know, it sounds like a few of the conversations that Moses had with God about the children of Israel. Several times in the wilderness, God would speak to Moses and God would say to Moses, you know, your people, the people that you brought out of Egypt, and God would be saying it to Moses, and Moses would be raising up his hands and go, whoa, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Paraphrasing here. Wait a minute. These are your people. Don't push them on me. These are your people. You brought them out. You're going to take care of them. You're going to judge them. They're yours. It's a great example for you and me. God, this is your situation. I'm giving it back to you. You see, unfortunately, blessings are dependent upon a personal relationship with God. And if you pull out some of your money, if you even have any on you anymore, it's what's printed on that money, in God we trust. In God we trust. It's still on all our money. You know, it's a wonderful statement, yet we know it's not true. We are no longer one nation under God, the eternal God which our forefathers looked to and spoke of. Rather, we are a nation who has broken down the fences and said to God, 
Who are you to rule over us? We will do whatever we please. We will do whatever we please. You see, this nation as a whole has no desire for a shepherd. Notice here. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. No desire for someone to rule and reign over them. And God, being a respectful God that he is, will not make anyone submit to his will. We have our free will, and we will reap what we sow. We will receive the judgment that we deserve. You see, God desires to save as well as bless those who look for him for their salvation as well as their sustenance. And one final verse here. For without faith, maybe you're here this morning, and you do not have a personal relationship with God via Jesus as your Savior. You don't have faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You can punch the clock as much as you want. You can be religious as much as you want. If you don't have a relationship with God, you are not pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. God exists. Jesus came to die for me. I received Jesus as my Savior. Then what happens? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will reward you. Now again, most of the time, if you watch Christian fiction, you know, that's money and homes and cars and health and this and that, blah, 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 blah. Nonsense. Go back to the word of God. He will bless you with what? The fruit of the Spirit. What is the very first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Does this country need true love? Agape love? God's love? Yes. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. Against such there is no law. We don't need a law. You see, when we fill up the Holy Spirit and we're seeking after God, I don't need the law. Because I'm fulfilling the law because the Holy Spirit is fulfilling it through me. But I have to do my part. You have to do your part. Notice, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not just those who seek him. I got saved. I'm good. I got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. I, I'll read my Bible whenever I can. But yeah, that's, that's good enough for me. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have the love. You're not going to have the joy. You're, you're not going to have that fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, you might be going to heaven. Praise God. But you're not going to have the reward. I'd encourage you to get the reward. Because if you have that reward, you can pass that on to others. And you can't give that to them. They have to receive it themselves. But you can at least be that example. Be that example for Christ in your workplace this week, in your neighborhood, in your conversations. Be that example. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, this world needs good, solid, Bible-believing examples. They got enough examples of everything else. Lord, they need to see something different. And so, Father, we pray as believers. Use us this week. Help us to be the difference in their lives. We shouldn't be surprised by what we see and what we read. If we didn't have you, Father, we'd be right out there with them. So, Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to the spiritual world. Thank you for transforming our hearts and that that continued sanctification process till the day we die. 
But Lord, we also know, we just read it. We have to do our part. So Lord, help us this week to diligently seek after you. To really set aside time to be with you. To be intentional. To really have a purpose, a a set-aside time to spend with you. Because we do need more love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness. We need your goodness. We need self-control. We'll only get it through your Holy Spirit. So even this morning, Father, even right now, Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill us anew, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, Lord, as we go out this week into our mission field. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great week. If you would like to receive Jesus, please come up after the service because we'd like to pray with you. And pray for anything else. Come on up. God bless you. Single-minded, wholehearted, one thing I ask. Single-minded, wholehearted, one thing Thank you, Lord.